Good evening. I'm, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Andy Schmidt, Dean of Students currently here at Bethany Lutheran College. We're going to follow the order of service of Lenten Vespers found on the worship folder. Our focus this evening in our Lenten worship is going to be on kissing. We don't think about kissing during Lent, do we? And yet, if you think about it for a second, you probably know where I'm going. Tonight, we're going to look at a kiss. If you know the phrase, the kiss of death, it literally goes all the way back to Judas kissing Jesus. And so tonight, we're going to look at that kiss of death, and we're going to thank God for it because that kiss of death brings life, and that'll be our focus this evening. I now invite you to please stand. We'll begin with the confession of sins in our Vesper service. It's on page 120, page 120 in the front of the hymnary. Dearly beloved, we have come together in the presence of God, our Heavenly Father, to render thanks for the great benefits that we have received at his hand, to set forth his most worthy praise, to hear his holy word, and to ask for ourselves and on behalf of others those things that are necessary for our life and salvation. O come, let us worship the Lord. Let us kneel and bow down before him. Let us confess our sins with penitent hearts and obtain forgiveness by his infinite grace and mercy. You may be seated. We continue our look at the reading of our Lord's Passion History recorded by St. Matthew in his Gospel, the 26th chapter. This evening we begin at the 47th verse. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. 
Now his betrayer had given them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot pray to my Father, and he will provide for me more than twelve legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen like this? In that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But none was found. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, Hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power, and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, He is deserving of death. Then they spat in his face and beat him. And others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? Here ends the Passion History this evening.
Good evening, fellow redeemed. Let us pray. O Lord, sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. A kiss is typically a sign of love and affection. Uh, we hear the word kiss and we usually have some sort of happy, heartwarming picture pop into our head, don't we? We think of maybe a young couple kissing on their wedding day. Or maybe we think of that little child grabbing onto mom and dad's cheeks and giving them a big wet one on the face. Or maybe we think of that elderly couple and they are celebrating their 55th wedding anniversary and they're there giving a cute little smooch. And now all family and friends are around them celebrating the big occasion. But that's not what's happening here this evening, is it? Sure, the word for kiss originates back to the same word here in the original language that we get the word brotherly love from. But there was nothing brotherly about this kiss. There was nothing loving about this kiss. This was the kiss of a betrayer. This was the kiss of a money lover. Judas and his kiss literally were the kiss of death. Again, we hear those few verses at the beginning of the reading, starting at verse 48. Now his betrayer had given them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? And then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Now, before we go and we run to the side of St. Peter and we grab our swords and we go and get ready to attack Judas Iscariot, we got to calm down. We probably need to take a breath. And we all need to take a moment here this evening and we need to do some honest Lenten self-reflection. Are we really that much better now than what Judas was doing to Jesus back there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, we may not be able to physically go give Jesus a betraying kiss, but how many times throughout the day are we not doing that same thing in some way, shape, or form? How many words, how many actions, how many thoughts have we had that we thought were maybe love at the moment, but they were really actually actions or thoughts or words of sin? Think of all the times that we have not held ourselves or other people in our lives accountable. Think about all the times that we have helped enable somebody to remain in their sin. They may seem like acts of love at that moment, but they definitely and certainly are not. And then we go as far as we try to justify those things. We'll justify them with, well, I'm just kind of lazy. Or we go about, we try to justify them because, well, I don't want to be unpopular. I want to be a friend. I want to be a buddy. I want to be cool. But no matter what they seem like in that moment, when we enable somebody, when we don't hold one another accountable in our lives, it's anything but loving. 
No, not holding ourselves accountable, not going out and enabling somebody else, that often only leads to one path, more hurt and pain. It leads to addictions. It leads to to cheating and broken relationships. It leads to uh, unmotivated teenagers and young people. And and it, it breeds an environment in so many places of this is all about me all of the time. There's nothing loving about that. Not even if they appear like that at the moment. Now, like Judas's kiss, those things are just real acts of sin. And I have done things at my life, in my life at times, that I thought were loving and look back and know they were sinful. And so have you. And you know what? That's why Jesus is in the garden on this evening here before us. It's why he was betrayed by something as beautiful as a kiss. And so may you and I right now, may we repent of these and all of our sins. May we plead and may we cling to the kissed Christ's mercy. Judas's choice to mark Jesus with a kiss, mind you again, a, a symbol of, of beauty and love, is maybe just about the perfect picture to show us how sinful human beings think and operate so much differently than our triune God. I want you to think back for just a second, go all the way back to the Old Testament, shortly after the fall into sin. There were these two guys, brothers, maybe you heard of them, Cain and Abel, right? We know Cain killed Abel. What was the Lord's reaction to that? If you go back into chapter 4, we're told... In his grace and mercy, the Lord marked Cain so that Cain the murderer wouldn't be killed by somebody else. See, that's how God operates. In his grace and mercy, God marked Cain so he wouldn't die. Humanity, on the other hand, as represented here by Judas, takes something as beautiful and as loving as a kiss, and he perverts it. And he uses it to mark the perfect holy son of God for a suffering, pain, and death that this world will never experience ever again. It was that bad. And yet we know that this kiss of death brings life. It brings life for you and for me and for all who believe in Jesus because it takes us from the garden to the cross of Calvary in Christ's passion. And on the cross in Christ's passion, we see him again there with the cross do the total opposite of what Judas did with that kiss. Judas took the kiss, which is a symbol of love and beauty, and he turned it and he perverted it. Jesus took something that was actually bad and ugly, the cross, the instrument for the worst, the death sentence for the worst of criminals, and he turned it around so now that the cross is the greatest symbol and acknowledgement of love that you and I will ever be able to see or know. When you look at that cross, you can be confident that Jesus kissed your sins away with his holy, perfect life in innocent suffering and death. When you look at the cross of Calvary every time, as you see it covered in the love and in the blood of Jesus Christ himself, drenched with it, 
you can be certain that he kissed death goodbye. And now all believers have the assurance that they have an eternal home waiting for them in heaven. It's interesting to note that when we depict oftentimes or we think about Judas's kiss of death, we normally think of a single kiss. Or maybe we think about like a European greeting, maybe a kiss on each cheek. But what's so fascinating is if you read the book, The Gospel, by Dr. Johannes Yilvesacker, it would be that doc's Yilvesacker, his father, he writes in there and he really captures what that kiss would have looked like when he writes this. He says, Judas wishes Jesus as his master success and good fortune and kisses him repeatedly, smothers him, so to speak, with kisses. The word used here to describe Judas kissing Jesus means this. It means to kiss much, to kiss again and again, and to kiss tenderly. But what's so fascinating, at least I thought so, when I did a word study, is that this word for kissing only appears in the Gospels in one other context, totally opposite when you remove it from the kiss of death. You take it, just like we do with the kiss there of Judas, and it's something bad, but now we take this word for kiss and we apply it to God the Father and it has a totally different meaning. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a parable. It's the one we know as the prodigal son. And then you come to verse 20, and here's what we read. Jesus said, But when the son was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. What a difference in the use of that word. Judas uses it here on this evening in our text as a dark and dirty deed. It is the mark to crucify the true Son of God, the Savior of the world. But now when you take that word and you apply it to God the Father, it only means grace and love and mercy and compassion. Yes, Judas gave Jesus the kiss of death. But when we hear this text, whether it's later on in the Lenten season or you hear it again in the future sometime, Cherish that thought because we know that the kiss of death brings life. Jesus allowed himself to be kissed by Judas, sin, death, and hell itself so that God the Father can kiss you with his love and mercy. Jesus allowed himself to be kissed by a betrayer so that you can be confident that you have each been kissed by God in your baptism and now adopted and made one of his own for his family for all eternity. Jesus was kissed by sinful lips so that his holy lips can pronounce the forgiveness he offers you in his life, in death, in his word, and in his supper. And your Savior, and my Savior, was kissed by the very one who just a few hours earlier, Satan, we're told, entered into so that God the Father could reach down in that compassion just like in the prodigal son and so that he could throw his arms around you and so he could no matter what you have done 
showered you with his love, his grace, his mercy, his compassion, his forgiveness every time you go to him in his word and supper. Amen.
with your strength and blessing. Abide with us when the nights of affliction and temptation comes upon us, the night of fear and despair when death shall come. Abide with us and with all the faithful through time and eternity. 